Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right. This is part two of the Westerville City School District Black History Month video series. And this second part is from, is this second presentation is given by a one Dr. Hassan Jeffries. Hassan Jeffries is the brother of Hakeem Jeffries. And first of all, Hassan Jeffries is an associate professor of history at Ohio State University. His brother, however, Hakeem Jeffries, is the Democrat representative from Brooklyn, New York, who was a part of the false impeachment hearing against Donald Trump the first time around. Now, he may be a part of it the second time around, starting this week. I have no idea. But Hakeem Jeffries is a liar. In fact, Hakeem Jeffries broke the law, by my estimation. He engaged knowingly in the impeachment of a sitting president on false information that was made up. That's called treason. That's sedition. That's a serious problem. So now, this small school district in central Ohio has invited his brother, who is an associate professor of history at Ohio State University, to give a lecture on what is titled Confronting Hard History, Teaching and Talking About Race and Racism in the Classroom. This is going to be hard to listen to. It's going to be hard to listen to. Because these brothers are pathological liars. And now we're going to hear from one of his brothers, who apparently is an Ohio State University associate professor. It just never ends. And the corruption is not only related to itself, but birds of a feather flock together. Good Lord. Here we go. Uh, the moment in which we are living. So what is the, what is the contemporary context uh, that we will be talking about um, and teaching about race and racism? Because that context changes uh, all the time. Uh, and it is, it is critically important uh, that we understand what it is because that informs the kinds of questions uh, that our students uh, are, will be asking, the kind of questions uh, that they are seeking answers for, and also what sort of knowledge base they are bringing to the table and what they want to get out of the class uh, or our class. So the moment is critically important. And the moment that we are living in, and of course, today, 2020, November 3rd, uh, we have a national presidential election of some major consequence. Uh, but even more so than that, what is so unique, I mean, those happen every four years, right? But what's even more unique than that uh, is the protests uh, that have or are the protests that have occurred uh, this past summer. Now, again, he's screen sharing. He's got a PowerPoint presentation he's running. Uh, the first title here, it says Seeking Justice. And then he has Black Lives Matter protesters with their signs and all of that stuff. So it's just going to it's just going to get worse. Here we go. Uh, protests under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Uh, these are not just um, 
sort of, you know, something that we see every summer, ah, protests or protests. What we saw this summer, starting with the um, following the murder of the death of George Floyd, 46-year-old African-American, Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the hands of Minneapolis police, what we have seen are the largest protests in American history. Again, first of all, anybody can look this up. Anybody. George Floyd, if that was his real name, ingested fentanyl as he was being arrested while he was still in the automobile. He died of fentanyl overdose and a drug overdose. He didn't die because someone was kneeling on his neck, on the back of his neck. That's not why he died. It's in the autopsy report, which anybody can read. It's not even that long. It's not even that long of an autopsy report. And there were multiple autopsies, and it didn't say pulmonary obstruction. So he kind of catches himself because he even knows that that's that what I just said is true, but he can't let the entire cat out of the bag right there. So he's gotta he's gotta bounce around it a little bit and use some word gymnastics. This isn't hyperbole. Like this is literally we have seen the large we are living through a moment in which we have witnessed the largest protest in American history, where by some estimates we're talking about in June and July. Some 35 million Americans took to the streets, 35 million in consecutive days took to the streets um, seeking justice for the victims of police violence. Now, to put this in perspective, during the civil rights movement, the largest single day demonstration, the largest demonstration was the March on Washington. And that had just under a quarter million people, a quarter million people one day, not tens of millions over consecutive days spread across the country. Uh, the largest uh, single day demonstration again in American history up until this summer was the Women's March uh, in January of 2017. And that had about 3 million people scattered across the country. So we're talking about 30. Okay, look, I'm, I'm not trying to get political here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean, I'm going to fast forward through this presentation and get kind of the heart of the matter. He's basing all of his, his entire lecture on manufactured lies, on Marxism, on board members who are pulling the strings and then their puppets are dancing. He's basing it all on that. Please keep in mind who his brother is. His brother engaged in serious crimes in Washington, D.C. against a sitting president. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. And now this guy again is giving a lecture to children or parents or community members, quote-unquote, about Black History Month and, and whatever else he decides to ramble on for. His presentation here, the last one in part one, was 45 minutes long, 46 minutes long. This is an hour and 45, 46 minutes long. It's, oh, it's, it's incredibly long. And it, totally ridiculous. Five million people over consecutive days. This is a, a historic moment. And what are these? And what are folk, many of whom are our students, uh, or what have they been seeking? What have they been asking for? What have they been demanding? They've been demanding justice. Again, justice for the victims of racial uh, violence, racial terror. But they've also been seeking recognition, and this is critically important because you know, and as teachers, will and and I'm sure Westerville is no different. Uh, you'll have pushback from parents and you may have pushback from your school districts 
uh, around the uh, acknowledging or recognizing or even saying uh, that black lives matter. Uh, that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, black lives matter as a slogan, as a statement, is, is a simple statement seeking recognition of black humanity. No, it isn't. No, it's not. It's propaganda. It's Marxist propaganda. We're all God's children, all of us. But these slogans, these slogans seek to sell people and trick them. That's exactly what this is. I got to tell you, this is rough. This is rough. I'm going to fast forward here. We're 12 minutes in. I'm going to fast forward here to the 12th minute. Here we go. What to do is the title of the of the slide here. Let's see what he what, what he thinks. Um, and the present uh, and race and racism ac accurately and effectively. Uh, so, what are some of the the basic notions, basic starting points that we need to have? Uh, well, the first one is uh, we we have to teach truth. Uh, we are um, educators. We are not physicians, uh, but physicians take the Hippocratic oath. Uh, and one of the core components in the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. Uh, and, and as educators, we have to do the same thing. We, we ought not, uh, we have to be guided by uh, the idea of doing no harm, right? We have to educate. We can't do harm. And when we... couple of verbal ticks here. Number one, the irony is palpable with this guy. The irony is palpable. It's too much. It's too much. He of all people saying we need to do no harm is laughable. That's number one. Number two, and I've said this before, when you end your sentences with the word right, and you go right, so we got to do this, right? So we got to do this, right? He's looking for affirmation. He's, it's, a, it's a verbal tick because in the brain, the brain says, what you're saying probably isn't real. But if you end it with the word right, and then you see nodding heads in a crowd or thumbs up emojis in the discussion board or whatever it is, well, then you must be, you must be on the right track as a speaker. You must be saying the accurate thing. It's, he's not. He's not. And the irony, again, is that his first bullet point is teach truth. Teach the truth. Uh, either by omission or commission, purposefully leaving it out, or we simply don't know it and don't know what to do with it, uh, then we are actually doing harm. Uh, because the truth is what our students want, and the truth is what uh, our students need, no matter how hard or difficult it is to hear. Uh, and that's what we need to do. So our starting point uh, is teaching truth. We also have to teach hard, what I call hard history. Hard history are those aspects of our past and now our past is our remote and our recent past uh, that are difficult for us to talk about uh, because they make us uncomfortable. Not, not uncomfortable about the past, but uncomfortable in the present. Uh, race in particular and racism as well, collected, taken together, are really the third rail of polite conversation in American society. It's what we're not supposed to talk about, right? I mean, even when you, when you sort of mention somebody's race, right? Just listen to the way in people... You know, I, I like to mess with folk. I can't help it, right? That might be the New Yorker in me. And so when you're having a conversation with somebody, it's like, yes, like they're talking and go ahead and say, yes. And the person was African-American. Right? The person was white and they whisper it. And I'm like, what do you mean, white? Are you saying white? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. I mean, even in the way we don't even want to bring ourselves to mention 
uh, a race, even when we're not having a, 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 a conversation of any significant difficulty, right? Like why? Uh, because we're, we, we've become so uncomfortable with talking about something that is so central to our existence. So we got to... No, no, that's also not true. We're not uncomfortable talking about something that's so central to our existence. We're uncomfortable having any kind of a back and forth with a liar. We have a hard time, as logical human beings, regardless of race, trying to have a back and forth dialogue with a liar because you can't do it. It's like asking a bag of sand to make you a sandwich. It isn't going to happen. You can, you can talk as much as you want, but no mind is going to change because the bag of sand has no mind, and there isn't going to be a sandwich that's being made, and the person who's trying to engage in that conversation is equally as dumb as the bag of sand. That's the way that that operates. And he just admitted that he likes messing with people. Well, great. Good for you. What a real professional this person is. I'm going to tell you something, too. He sounds just like his brother. He sounds like a salesman, just like his brother. His brother consistently said the talking point throughout the first impeachment, and I watched almost every single minute of it as it was happening. The talking point was, no one is above the law. He, his brother kept saying that over and over and over again. No one is above the law. And, and, and if you just say that apparently over and over again without holding a mirror up to your own face when you say it, apparently it's true. Apparently, if you just say it often enough, great. This man is not well. He's not well. So speaking of teach hard history, which is your second bullet point, how about this one? little history lesson here. The first legal slave owner in America was a black man. This comes from the Gateway Pundit, and it's 100% true. I learned about this a long time ago. Anthony Johnson, 1600 to 1670, was an Angolian who, who achieved freedom in the early 17th century colony of Virginia. Johnson was captured by his native Angola by an enemy tribe and sold to Arab Muslim slave traders. He was eventually sold as an indentured servant to a merchant working for the Virginia Company. I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. In, in 1651, not for any particular reason, it's just ads. In 1651, Anthony Johnson owned 250 acres and the services of four white and one black indentured servants. The black indentured servant, by the way, had been a slave of his for seven years. And then Johnson ended up going to court to make sure that that slave could not be freed. So he actually went to court to keep a slave, a black slave, that was supposed to be freed. And there you go. The court ruled that he could keep the slave, even though his neighbors, who were white, knew that that slave was supposed to be freed. But Anthony Johnson didn't care. So what about that? Are you going to teach that history, Mr. Jeffries, Dr. Jeffries? Are you going to teach that? 
I bet not. I bet you don't even cover Anthony Johnson in your class. Chart history. Teach those subjects in the past slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights, lynching, peonage, um, racial inequality, discrimination, right? That make us uncomfortable, but that are essential to understanding uh, sort of the arc of American American history. We have, I'm going to say more about this in particular later on. We have to teach resistance when teaching and talking about race and, and, and racism. We have to teach resistance. The ways in which African-Americans have fought back and challenged uh, their oppression and their marginalization. This is absolutely critical because this is the entry point uh, to, to the humanity of black folk. Right. And then I'll say more about that later on, because we have an empathy gap when it comes to being able to connect with people of color, when it comes to being able to connect with people of color in the present or in the past. But if we teach resistance, that becomes the entryway to be able to get our students to empathize with people uh, who do not look like them. That's code language for teach violence. Teach resistance means teach violence. That's what it means. It means get in people's faces, yell at them, tell them they're wrong, and a thousand other things. That's what it means. That's just what it means. It's more Marxist language. It's more Marxist garbage. And then lastly, we cannot be afraid to teach today. We have to teach today. I'm teaching a class for the first time this semester um, called The Last 50. Uh, that looks at the last 50 years of the African-American experience. The, the officer, for those who have been you know, who are graduates of Ohio State, we have the Office of Diversity of Inclusion, used to be the Office of Minority Affairs, and is celebrating his 50th anniversary this year. And so they have reached out to me and said, well, Dr. Jeffries, we would love it if you could teach a class uh, that looks at uh, sort of the um, African-American experience here at Ohio State. And that was the plan before sort of the coronavirus hit and then uh, we had a protest this summer, so we kept the book on the class, but we changed the focus a little bit to look at the last 50 years of the African-American experience through the prism and perspective of, of young people, both at Ohio State and beyond. But teaching today, one of the things I did in that class, and it has been remarkably successful, I think, so far, the kids are still showing up. Congratulations. That's just, that's just basic math. Somebody's going to like you in that class. They're showing up because they have to. They need the credit so they can get out of that Marxist institution called Ohio State University. It's that simple. This is just awful. This is awful. Um, let's see. So the title of his slides, I'm just going to kind of run through this as fast as I can before my nose starts bleeding. Um, where to begin? Understanding of race. It's biological, meaningless, but socially meaningful and also culturally relevant. Quote, unquote. The next slide says, understanding of racism. Racism is real. It's personal, prejudicial beliefs and behaviors. Explicit bias is prejudice that is blatant and intentional. Moving along. My God, what the founders said, what the founders meant. Oh, don't even. Is he really going to go there? He's going to butcher this. Slavery is an origin in Virginia. Let's see if he covers Anthony Johnson. The history. Here we go. All right. I'm going to play this. Bear with me. If, if that is both the moment and the starting point, right? For what our what our what our young people, what our kiddos, if you will, 
uh, need to sort of have in the back of their mind. They're not our kiddos, and they're not kids, and they aren't our kids as teachers. Stop saying that. Stop saying that. If anybody is listening to this, and you're an educator, or you want to be, or you're a parent, or what have you, don't have your teachers call their students kids. That's a government ploy to trick people into believing that government is the parent and the student is the child. So they are your kids. No, no. You're the teacher, they're the students. It drives me up the wall when people say kids, when, when they refer to their students as their kids. They aren't their kids. They're their students. You don't call your you don't call your automobile a bag of hamburgers. It's an automobile. Students are your students if you're a teacher. If you're a parent and you gave birth to them and made them, they are your kids, they are your children. More word salad. <sighs> okay, here we go. Then this will help them as we walk through history. And this is, you know, walk through American history, walk through this thing called uh, hard history. Uh, and where should we begin? And where should we be thinking about uh, beginning uh, when we're going to touch upon any of these subjects? Uh, I think that we have to begin in the beginning. Let's we talk about slavery in Virginia not just as America's original sin, but slavery as America's origin. In Virginia, right, in 1619 in uh, Fort Comfort in uh, off. Uh, uh, close to Jamestown, Virginia, uh, some 20 and odd uh, enslaved uh, Africans uh, from the coast, uh, from the region of Angola are brought to the Virginia colony. Uh, these would be the first Africans who would be sold into slavery in Virginia. Two. Uh, but we see as Virginia, uh, as the American colonies will grow, uh, that, that slavery is the engine. It's the economic engine. Um, that allows for the colonies uh, to boom, to thrive. I mean, for the first three quarters of the 1600s, the 17th century, uh, you know, the American colonies are, are, are a backwater, an afterthought, because uh, they couldn't grow sugar, right? I mean, it was all about, for the British colonies, it was all about um, uh, sugar cane. Uh, and so slavery is an afterthought. But uh, by the time we get to the 1670s, for a number of reasons, we see that slavery exists in every one of the 13 colonies and is permitted in every one of the 13 colonies. It is an American institution, right, where the labor is concentrated primarily in the southern colonies, but even the northern colonies like Massachusetts and Connecticut, they're pioneering in slave law, right, how to manage uh, and keep people in bondage. So we are you going to tell them that they're Democrats? Or are you going to skip over that part? Are you going to tell them that it was Democrats, that it was Democrat legislation, that it was Democrat-driven, it was Democrat politicians who wanted to keep it? Are you going to are you going to cover that? Or are you going to skip over that part? He's probably going to skip over that part. He sounds completely disorganized too. I might add. I mean, I, I'm sure you've picked up on that, but he's all over the place. A lot of us and is and us and rights, and he's all over the place. Think about, I like to think about sort of, you know, America's DNA, and there's really two core components to America's DNA when we think about slavery as America's origin. Uh, and that is racism that provides specifically white supremacy that will provide the justification for the institution of slavery and capitalism, 
right, that provides the, is the economic mode uh, for which that, that serves as the driver uh, for the for the American experiment, the American journey. Oh, my God. Racism and capitalism, the DNA of America, according to Dr. Hassan Jeffries. No, freedom and independence. God, freedom, and independence. Leave me alone. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Leave me alone. Don't tread on me. Live free or die. That is the DNA of America. I'm going to continue here. I got got to fast forward what the founders thought. He's not even going to touch Anthony Johnson, and he doesn't. Founding and founding documents of this nation uh, are something that we have to uh, acknowledge and be aware of, right? Especially as we move into, I mean, think about the moment that we are in, uh, in 2020, uh, today, election day. uh, One of the things that uh, our students ought to be thinking about, even young learners, uh, is the Electoral College, right? And, and part of the reasons why the Electoral College exists uh, is because of these questions of how do we count, how do we enumerate um, enslaved folk uh, within uh, these populations in the southern states. I mean, so we're literally still living uh, with the legacies uh, of, uh, of a society that was a, a slave society uh, that maintained the institution of slavery that was so central uh, to the uh, to the development, the birth and the origin of it. I've had I've had the great pleasure, and, and I'm truly miss it this semester. Um, for the last uh, two years or so, of taking a small group of students down to James Madison's uh, plantation estate, uh, Montpelier, which is in Virginia, not too far from Charlottesville. And James Madison, of course, is fourth president of the United States, uh, the father of the Constitution, the architect uh, of the Bill of Rights. And so I very much enjoy taking students down there. And this is an image of Madison's library, the second floor study in which literally the room in which he conceived and conceptualized the Bill of Rights. Um, but Madison was also uh, an enslaver. Uh, Madison enslaved uh, over 100 people over the course of his lifetime. Uh, over the course of a lifetime, 100 people, because he had a massive piece of property, as they all did. They were farmers. They were farmers. And the people farmed. Something else about slavery, which they'll never touch on, is that many of these individuals lived there and lived well. They even got paid. They were even paid. Some of them were even educated on plantations. Is he going to talk about that? No. He's not interested in the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help him God. He's interested in an angle. These people have angles. And they bob and they weave and they zig and they zag and they do whatever they can to try to get to their end point. And their end point is only this. Believe what I believe and don't believe anything else. That's their end point. These people are, I, I got to tell you, just this, this Marxist nonsense. These Marxists are, are all over the place. This is awful. I'm just scrolling through this thing here really quickly. The history, the right side of history on the Ohio Constitution. And then he goes into the empathy deficit. Okay, he's, he's cherry-picking particular things. Living with the legacy of slavery, opportunities won, opportunities lost. Teaching today, discussing the wealth gap. 
Um, politics of hope, where did we stand? Well, it's the Obamas standing there with their two kids who aren't their kids. Um, the approach, usual response is hard history. He loves doing this too. Um, these Marxists love to blame people who aren't themselves, of course. They can't blame themselves, but they, but they love blaming people for not wanting to have conversations about particular things. You see, one of the, th one of the true marks of an intellect, and, I, and that's the wrong word to use, just somebody who's intelligent, is somebody who knows to not talk about things for which they know nothing about. I don't know anything about building a home. I have home builders in my family. I don't know a thing about it. I know how to nail. I know how to screw things. I know how to, you know, put stuff up and whatever else. I don't know, I don't know the thing about building a house. So if somebody looks at me and says, okay, Sean, talk to me about building a house. I'd go, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I don't know anything about it. Socrates said something like that, I believe. Um, he, he was the wisest because he knew he knew nothing. He always had more to learn. But somebody like Dr. Jeffries here has it figured all out. He's got it all figured out now. And he's just telling everybody what he has figured out. Historical amnesia, quote-unquote, ra ra rationalize evil and create false narratives. That's his approach. And what's the result when you get all of that? The perpetuation of myths and misconceptions that promote racial bias and reinforce inequity. It, it just means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Racism only exists out of the mouths of the people who, conti who continuously say it and talk about it all the time. It's that simple. Be clear, be positive, be personal, be open, be specific, be intentional. And then next to those it says, language matters under be clear. Well, that's funny. That's funny, coming from this guy. Combat stereotypes. Share your story. Not the truth. Not the truth. Focus on the negative. Focus on one little teeny thing that happened in your life that maybe you didn't like and make your entire life about that. That's what share your story means. Start where students are. No. No. Start with an accurate telling of history. Because where they are right now, they're being brainwashed. Because they think George Floyd died because somebody kneeled on the back of his neck. That's not true. That didn't happen. Read the autopsy report, as I said at the beginning. Personal versus structural, and then scaffolding. What else does he say? One more. Be bold. And then he has someone speaking here. Oh, let's see what this is about. Here we go. In this moment. That if we want to be effective in the classroom, if we want to teach this history uh, accurately and effectively, that now is the time to be bold. Uh, are we going to have you know, some, some stumbles? Absolutely. Give ourselves permission uh, to make some mistakes. Uh, but be bold in the effort. That's what our students uh, not only are demanding by the millions who have been taken to the streets, but it's also what our young people uh, across, across Westerville, across Ohio, across the country actually deserve. Uh, and we can meet that, both what they demand and what they deserve, by being bold in our approach and by being bold in our teaching. Uh, and so I've, I've left us a robust five minutes uh, for, for, for any questions or comments, uh, questions, uh, but I'll stop sharing now. And, and I welcome 
uh, anyone who has anything to I have a question or share. You can just unmute your mic and just hop on in. I do like his suspenders and tie. Man knows how to dress. So I have a question. Yes. Take your so, mask off. Um, I teach in elementary school, and I noticed that there is a big issue, um, especially with my population of students, that like, White kids? the second we mention race, it's just racist. That's racist. That's racist. That's racist. The second race is even mentioned. Like, I had a student last year. We had a black um, instructional aide. He's like, do you get sunburned? And the other students are like, that's racist. You can't ask him that. And I'm like, no, it's not racist. It's just asking him a question. So I guess how can we promote that, like, at an elementary level, like, K-5 students, that, like, yeah. being open about it is okay. But then where does the line draw when it becomes racist? Yeah, no, again, I think I think we actually have to encourage our children to talk about it because that's exactly what we don't want to happen, right? We don't, that's, that's, that's building towards this pseudo colorblindness. Like, everybody knew the instructional aid was black, right? Like, that wasn't a shock. Right. But we're just going to pretend that there is somehow difference. Now, again, the question, especially for young learners, right, they're still formulating. How do I frame something? And that's where sort of the, the teacher intervention to correct, to say, no, 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 what you're asking is this or this is how you frame it. You got to be careful around this. That's where we become involved. But we want to encourage our children to ask these questions. We want to encourage our children not to duck their heads in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist. So asking the question, mentioning race, again, is not a problem. And we have to be explicit in sharing that with our students. Like, it's not a problem. You can say it. You know who I am. I see who you are. There's no problem with that. It's the discrimination that becomes problematic. It's the projection of stereotypes onto people that becomes problematic. But the only way that we will know if they're harboring those myths and stereotypes, and we know they are, they're not talking about them because the society is bombarding them, is if we get them to open up about them. And a lot of... Uh, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm just lost. I'm sorry. I um I don't even I don't even know what's happening anymore. I don't know what's happening. I wish I could break this down in some way. But I feel like I'd just be breaking down something that's not real. I just don't get it. I'm going to break this down quick for an uh, for, for an elementary school teacher. I don't even know why you're bringing up race in the classroom to begin with. Teach your subject matter. Go home. That's all you have to do. Teacher subject, go home. Teacher subject, go home. You don't have to teach racism. Racism's real. Racism's this. Racism's that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. There have always been people on earth that other people don't like. That's not new. That's not new. Just teach them that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't teach division by repeating division on a constant basis. That doesn't mean you're uncomfortable talking about division and how people don't like one another or people have mistreated one another. That's called life. That happens. Get over it. Get over it. But when you start forcing a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a ten-year-old to have conversations about racism, Something that is so small, it's practically non-existent, if, ex if it exists at all, is absurd. And the reason they're uncomfortable about doing it is because they know it's absurd. But because you're the teacher, 
and you're teaching such ridiculousness, it's very difficult for them to stand up to the teacher. That's a tough situation. Let me hear the end of this outrageous explanation he provides. Um, you know, one kid will say something uh, and others may not, but they believe the same thing, right? But they're told not to say anything about it. Um, and so I think the short, the short answer is like, no, 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 we want to encourage it. It's not racist to say, to talk about people's racial identity. It's racist to discriminate. It's racist to use the sort of the language and the like. But just talking about it, that's the way we get over it. We're so, we're so wrapped up in our own heads, right? We can't get out of our way. And now we're messing up a whole other generation of kids. Yeah, right? you got that right. our own insecurities and issues onto them. No, no, no. We got to get out of our way. Now, look, kids... That's perfect. He just ended it right there. Everything he just said is 100% accurate. We got to get out of our own way. We're messing up kids. We're messing up a whole nother generation of kids. Well done, Dr. Jeffries. Well done. Couldn't have said it better myself. Couldn't have said it better myself. Too bad you're the one perpetuating this nonsense. Wow. It's everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. It's everywhere. And that's an elementary school teacher asking a question to a professor, a Marxist professor, about how to address these things in the class. Teacher subjects, reading, writing, arithmetic. That's it. And then go home. All right, there's a few more questions here. People keep popping in here with some questions, and uh, I think this is going to be an interesting segment of this. So looks like we've got another teacher with another question. Here we go. I'd like to ask for a suggestion. Um, I am a building administrator in one of our middle schools. Uh -huh. I snuck into the elementary session. Um, we have a lot of students, black students, who use the N-word, and you spoke about the N-word. Yep. Um, and here I am, a white lady, telling them not to Al use Allison, that word. Allison, I, I, I can, I, I mean, let me stop you right here. <laughs> look. I, I am, you know, having come out of African-American community, I'm, I'm very familiar with people using the N-word. No, stop it, right? Stop it. That's not what we, we're not doing it, right? And I have no problem saying that to the students. I guess yeah. the problem is when I call their parents and their parents say, no, we tell them that that's, that that's okay to say. Nah, look, and I'm not sure how to address that with parents. I, I Well, look, the parent thing is a parent thing, right? <laughs> you say, look, if you tell them that's fine, that that's up to you. Right. Like I grew up in a household where I knew there were certain things that I could say when I was in the street and there were certain things I could say when I was in grandma's house. Right. Uh, and or in church. Right. And we're at and, and I think in the conversation with the parents, especially parents of color, it's like, look, you know, I'm not telling you what to tell your child. Right. To say inside, to say outside of school or in your home. That, that's up to you. What we're saying is that this is problematic in the classroom because of the in the school setting, because of the way in which. Others can then use it to create harm, right? Mm -hmm. And when you hear and, and, and having black students talk about it, you know, white students will take, even if then there's no malicious intent among the black students, among the black kids, which we know, then the white students will then use it as permission to create harm, to use mm -hmm. it in a harmful way. And okay. I, I started to like his explanation and then I stopped liking it. He's, he's implying that all black students are fine using the word or fine being called the N-word. No, they're not. No, they're not. That's ridiculous. Do you see how quickly he puts people in these giant bins and just says, well, they all... I like the part about him saying, well, 
Um, you can't, you know, it, what goes on in the home is what goes on in the home. And you just have to tell the parents that, look, here while they're in school, we don't do that. That's fine. That makes sense. But then he gets into the divisiveness. And then he gets into the stereotypes. And then he gets into, will they all do this and they all don't care? Because if, if black students say the N-word, then white students are going to use that against them somehow. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And no offense to this administrator, but if the administrator is ask, asking such a question, uh, they have a serious problem. They have way more problems than just this. If that's the... If, if that's... <laughs> wow. Wow. And she probably gets paid a ton of money. Uh, it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue. It's a parent conference. It's a phone call home. We have rules here. Your child will be suspended if they use this. This applies to all children. We make constant uh, corrections with students on this kind of on this kind of verbiage and in these this language. There are consequences. End of story. Have a nice day. And then you hang up the phone. That's all. Or heaven forbid, the administrator gets on the PA system and says, "Stop using the N word." Stop saying it. It's inappropriate. If you use it, you're going to be suspended. Your, 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 a phone call will go home. It's that simple. See, administrators don't do that often enough. They don't get on the PA system and tell everybody what the rules and regulations are, even on a specific basis, and they don't do it often enough. They should do it more often. Let me hear the rest of his, uh, let's hear the rest of his ridiculous explanation here. That is the problem. So now look, now I'm not a zero tolerance person, right? So I'm not saying now we got to go every time you hear it because it's so built into the subculture uh, of society now that among black students that now you got to throw them out of school. No, but you have to build up a culture in the school where you're like, no, 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 the intervention, no, we're not using that in here, right? And and it, you know, it, it may be part of a broader conversation that you have to have with the students as a whole saying, this is why we're not going to do it. And this is why we're going to stop when we hear it. We need you to help, police, not, not police, but we need to, everybody to bring it down and keep it out of the classroom. Now, kids as a whole are going to need to be able to become sort of racially bilingual anyway, right? Like black kids, white kids, everybody's going to have to be able to dance in and out of these languages, but especially for black kids too, right? So they're going to have to develop that anyway. So I, I think I think you're right in saying we're not going to use it. When you talk to parents, like, look, I'm not telling you not. I'm just saying this is what we're doing in the classroom because we don't want to give permission to anybody else to use it uh, and manipulate the use of sort of uh, how it is being used among African-Americans. So I think Thank your you. inclination is absolutely right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Maybe I know it's 11 o'clock. Maybe we have time for, for one more. I just had a comment. Yes. Because um, I just think that it's important to share the positive experiences as well. Oh, yeah. Because um, I'm a graduate of Westerville City Schools, mm -hmm. and I was the only black person in the entire middle school and the only black person in my graduating class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we do have to share. I mean, there were negative things that happened, but I think we also need to share because I had a great experience in, in middle school and high school. So I think we, you know, along with sharing those negative experiences, we need to also share the positive. You yeah, know, you know, I, if you we know, have the opportunity to share, you know, we have to share those as well. You no, know, I, I think it's always critically important to balance. So you have to create balance yeah. between 
um, the hardship uh, and the hope, right? Because if we only focus on the hardship, particularly for African-American students. She caught him. Did you hear that? She caught him. She caught him. He just went 22 minutes talking about, uh, I'm sorry, an hour and 22 minutes talking about the negative. An hour and 22 minutes. And then the only, and I mean, there you have it. A black American female who is an American female talking about her experience and having a great experience as the only black student in Westerville City Schools in middle school and high school, at least in her school, and the only one in the graduating class. Now he's back on his heels and he doesn't know what to do. Let's catch this. For for, for students of color. And they don't want to identify with the group. Right. Because, you know, I literally had this conversation with my daughter, my young, my, my youngest daughter, because I'm always experimenting with my kids. Right. How do I teach this? Like nothing I'm telling y'all. I haven't tried all my kids. Right. Uh-huh. So to my daughter, you know, who's four or five years old about slavery. I'm like, yeah, this is what slavery was. This that, and the other. And she was like, and all because people were black. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking I'm doing something good. And she was like, well, then I don't want to be black. And I was like, oh, that wasn't a takeaway I was trying to go for. Right. And why? Because I was, only, I was hitting it with the hardship. Right. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be black either if that was the case. So we don't want to force anything, but there's always balance, right? The way in which... There were white slaves too, by the way. There were white slaves too. Anthony Johnson, I mentioned him earlier, he had white slaves. Just saying. Folk have been able to survive all these years, even in tough situations, sometimes that are good, sometimes are bad, is by, is by creating hope and joy, right? Love in addition to the pain. So right. we have to share that experience. And sometimes it's an individual experience surrounded by white folk, but sometimes it's just black folk being among black folk. Like, it's okay for black folk to be among black folk. I right. guess this, la- this last thing I would say uh, is, you know, the Westerville is very unique in terms of its uh, racial demographic and 50, 50% or so black and, and 25% or so African-American is that, you know, we look at the, you know, we look at sort of cafeteria dynamics when we were all in school and you see the black kids over in the corner. You're like, well, why don't black kids sit by themselves, right? We created a loving environment. It's like because, you know, black folk, black kids have to survive, right? And, and constantly being in these environments uh, surrounded by white folk can be very stressful. I don't know if white folk, I don't know if my dear white Do you hear his voice? Do you hear it go up and up and up? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, when, when you hear that, that too is indicative of somebody who knows he's teetering on something that is really inappropriate. The cultures tend to work with one another and stay within their own culture. That's not unusual. There's nothing unusual about that. But then again, there are individuals who don't. So are there assigned seats in the cafeteria? We don't know. Are they sitting with their entire class? We don't know. Can they sit wherever they want? Maybe. We don't know. He's really he's really just working hard here. He's really working hard. And I got to tell you uh the the black woman who asked the question here is leaps and bounds more intelligent than than Dr. Jeffries. Friends on this Zoom call understand how stressful white people can be, right? And so our kids are just simply finding a way uh to breathe a little bit. And we want to look for ways to encourage them uh, to breathe for themselves, right? And so, because if they can breathe, they can learn. And I think everybody becomes, we become better better educators uh, and they become better students and we can fulfill our mission 
because uh, that's what, and, and our mission is all, you know, we share the same mission, right? We want to make better students, better people, better citizens. So I think at 11 o'clock, I think I'll, I'll, I'll end it there. Um, and thank you very much for the opportunity to share some thoughts and ideas. And if you have any follow-up questions, by all means, just, just reach out, um, you know, via email or social media, and, I'll, and we can continue the conversation from there. Well, so again, Dr. Jeffries, thank you, thank you, thank you for um, your presentation and the wealth of information that you shared with our staff. We truly um, enjoyed your presentations, and we will look forward to continuing our partnership um, for future trainings for staff. So staff, thanks. No. No, 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 you should never do future training for staff with him. No, this gets criticized in the media all of the time. This is a massive problem, massive problem. But I am going to end this here 51 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the second installment of the Westerville City Schools Black History Month video series. Dr. Hassan Jeffries brother of Raheem Jeffries, sorry, Hakeem Jeffries, brother of Hakeem Jeffries, who falsely tried President Donald J. Trump. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Good luck, Westerville. Good luck. The next installment will probably be next week, I believe. That will be part three. Can't wait for that one. And one last note, by the way, it's worth worth mentioning here. Um, there are 879 subscribers to this YouTube channel, the Social WCS, Westerville City Schools. 879 subscribers, and this video that I just played, nine views. Nine. Nine views. And guess what's turned off? The comments section. Well, wouldn't you know it. Wonder why. I wonder why. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.